Hey, welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. It is so good to see you here this morning, and we are here to praise the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen, and I'm so glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us, I want to say a, just a special welcome to you. We are delighted that you're here. Hopefully you were able, as you came in, to talk to our greeters in our greeter ministry at the welcome desk. They've got information about our church, about these GCM classes. That's gospel, community, mission, these small groups. They've got all that information right out there at that desk. And I'm excited about this morning because if you've been with us over the course of the summer, we're about ready to kick off the second half of our series called Marks of Godliness. And now we're going to turn our attention to diving into the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn in it to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And as you turn there, let's just talk for a moment about Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. One church historian, his name is Jerome. Jerome said that when you read the letter of Galatians, you can hear thunder. I like that. And do you know why he says that? He says that because of the tone that the Apostle Paul takes in the letter that he writes to the church at Galatia. There's, there's no other letter that Paul writes that we have in our New Testament that takes quite the tone that the letter of Galatians does. You can, you can hear his voice of thunder. You've got Philippians. Philippians is the, the letter of what? Do you know? Joy, right? Philippians is the letter of joy. Uh, you've got Romans, and, and in Romans, Paul is unpacking the gospel of salvation by grace alone. You, you've got Ephesians. Ephesians is this, this beautiful explanation that Paul makes of the church's unity and, and salvation in Christ. But Galatians, Galatians is different. From the very beginning to the very end, Paul takes the tone of a loving, but, but quite frankly, tired parent who fears that his children are on the verge of committing spiritual destruction. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 7, Paul says, you were running well, this, this faith, your Christianity, you were running well. He says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's concerned. He's concerned that false teachers are starting to lead God's people astray. Uh, that, that their own, God's people, this church, that their own spiritual apathy was, was leading to, to fruitless lives. And that these believers were lacking awareness of who they were in Christ and who God had saved them to be and what God was calling them to. Famously, Paul starts the letter of Galatians with a really brief introduction, and then he dives right into the point. He, he begins his letter with Paul, an apostle, grace, and peace. And then he just dives right into it, and he says, I'm shocked. I'm astonished, is what he says that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a false gospel. I mean, in no other letter does Paul take that tone, grace and peace to you. Now, how could you? <laughs> That's exactly the way that he begins his letter. And throughout the pages, you see Galatians as, as tough love. It's tough love. But here's the thing. Every parent in this room, Every coach, every teacher, you know that sometimes tough love is just the kind of love required, isn't it? And so for the first four and a half chapters, Paul will defend the true gospel from a false gospel of works-based righteousness. But his argument is going to, to reach this peak in chapters 5 and 6, around where we are going to be. And in chapters 5 and 6, Paul begins this masterful call to application for the Christian's life. He points out that for Christians to return to the gospel, uh, for them to experience freedom and grace and flourishing by God's design, they must be deeply connected to Christ Jesus. And the fruit of the Spirit, that's what we're going to be studying over the next few weeks, the fruit of the Spirit is delivered to the church 
as a highly functional barometer for our faith that focuses on the character of God and his work in a true believer's life. So we're going to begin at verse 16 in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read down to verse 25. Here's what the Word of God says. Paul says in the Spirit, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. It's things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envyness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then here's a key verse. This is the verse that we're going to dive into. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's the verse right there. That's the, that's the verse that everything else is, is really hinging on in terms of Paul's argument that he's making right here in Galatians. Uh, that key verse, again, is verse 25. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. Now, I think before we get into the fruit of the Spirit and we talk about these things, love, joy, peace, patience, before we get in there, you know what we need to talk about first? The Spirit. That's, that's really what we need to get a, a more firm understanding of, is the, the Spirit of God. And, and so we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today, but I want to tell you this, just as a, a shameless plug. And listen, I love all of our GCM classes equally. You all heard me say that. But there is one class in particular that is going to be taught on Wednesday nights that is titled, Who is the Holy Spirit? So if you, if you want to know more than what we're going to be able to get to into in the hour that I'm about ready to have you here, no, about 30 minutes, but listen, maybe you want to do that, I don't know. Uh, then you're going to hear more. You can sign up for the class about the Holy Spirit. But let's talk about God, the Holy Spirit. I'm a huge football fan. I'm a huge football fan. I, I, I love football. I played football, believe it or not, five foot seven. I did. Uh, and, and everyone understands that every position on a football team is important. Every position plays an important role to the success of a football team. All 11 on offense, all 11 on defense, special teams, they're called special for a reason, right? And so everyone understands that every position is valuable. But there's one position in particular that just doesn't seem to get the glory that all the other positions get. And you know what position that is? It's the kicker, the kicker. The kicker never wins the Heisman. The kicker has never been the Super Bowl MVP. Nobody ever thinks about the kicker until these crucial moments of the game are on the line. And then let me tell you something. It matters quite significantly that you have a really good kicker. Amen, Cowboys fans. Right? Like, you've, been, you've been in kicker purgatory forever. Uh, <laughs> I just lost all the Cowboys fans in here. But the kicker, no one thinks about the kicker. No one really knows what he's doing at practice. He's just kind of over there doing his own thing. But when the game is on the line, the kicker is so valuable. Did you know this? The leading scorer on a team at the end of the season is often the kicker. The kicker scores the points. As a matter of fact, the franchise leading scorer for the Raiders in the NFL by 100 points is kicker Sebastian Janikowski. The kicker matters. You know, I think about when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we often underappreciate his central role within the Godhead and within the life of a Christian. But the Holy Spirit isn't a kicker. 
He's the agent through whom all of creation came into being. Did you know that? In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 2, it was the spirit there that was filling the void and bringing life into being. Did you know in Scripture we see the agent uh, of redemption is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of consummation, new creation, and even resurrection. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are alive in the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, in Romans, in Romans, Paul says this in verse eight, in, or, uh, chapter 8 and verse 11. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. I want you to just just pause for a moment and look at that verse. It's up on the screen. If the spirit of him who raised, it was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul's argument is this. He says, "If, if he who raised Jesus from the dead is in you, won't he also give you life? If you're alive today, you are so by the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen to more about the Holy Spirit's role in Ezekiel 36 and verse 27. It says, and I will put my spirit within you, this is the Father talking, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Then here's what I want you to do. Turn in your Bibles to John. You can keep your finger in Galatians. We're going to come back. But turn with me to John 16. John 16 this morning. In one of the most beautiful, magnificent illustrations of the role, the work, and the personhood of the Holy Spirit, Jesus describes the Spirit for us so clearly in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16... In verses 7 to 13, this is what Jesus says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If you're a person who likes to underline in your Bible, you underline the helper. We're going to return to that. Maybe your copy of God's word says the advocate or the comforter. Either way, underline that word, the the helper. Jesus goes on. And he says, but if I go, I will send him to you. Talking about the Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict. This is what he does. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. You won't see me any longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You can see what the Holy Spirit does. I I want you to notice something, though, in particular with me here in John 16. It's, It's one of the clearest presentations in all of Scripture on the role of the Holy Spirit and on his distinct personhood of the Spirit. You notice that that every bit of the Trinity is being presented in this passage. You've got the Son, and he's about ready to go to the Father uh, to plead for the righteousness of his children. You've got the Spirit, and he's going to come, and he's going to convict the world concerning the things that Jesus said. So you have all the distinct persons of the Trinity all working together in unity. The Spirit is not the Father, The Spirit is not the Son. The Spirit is distinct in role, yet one in essence within the Godhead. You can see the person of the Trinity at work distinctly in John 16. But there's something else that I want you to see. Look at verse 7 again, in that word that you underlined. Jesus uses a word for the Holy Spirit, calling him the helper. Do you see that? The helper. Your, your text, again, it may say advocate or, or comforter. Uh, that's fine. It's the Greek word, and I've put it up here for you. It's the Greek word parakletos. Do you see that? So in John 16, 7, in the ESV, it says helper. Jesus says the helper will come to you. In the original language, that word for helper or comforter is parakletos. 
Now, I want you to notice the parakletos comes from, from two stems. Do we have the, that on the slide? Notice this. It comes from two stems, para, which means to come alongside in aid. You think about a parachute. What does a parachute do? It literally comes alongside you to aid you, does it not? Or you think about a parachurch ministry. Have you ever heard someone refer to a, uh, that organization as a parachurch ministry, right? It's a ministry that comes alongside the church to aid her, to be with her, in cooperation with her. So you have this word, para, which means to come alongside. And then you have the word kaleo, kaleo. And kaleo means to call, to summon, to exhort. So when you put these two words together, these two stems together to make one word, parakletos, here's what you get. You get this idea of Jesus saying that the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to literally come alongside you to assist you in his way. He's the paraclete. The one who is with you to guide you, to convict you, to counsel you, to transform you. And Jesus says he primarily does this by reminding you of the word of Christ and helping you become like him. Isn't that encouraging? I love that because so many times, so many of us, we, we understand the Father. The Father's easy for us to understand, right? The Father has a will. The Father is the, uh, the chief of creation. We get the Father. And it's easy for us to understand the Son. Jesus is, is distinctly man, but yet he's distinctly God. And, and, and so it's easier for us to understand him. But, but sometimes it's so challenging with the Spirit. But that word, the word that we translate as helper or advocate or, or comforter is this idea of a paraclete, one who comes alongside to call out to you in your life, to transform your very existence by his word. Jesus, or the Spirit exists to equip you in Christ's word. That is what he's here to do. There's never a moment, if you're a believer, that you are left to your own devices. Did you know that? Just like a person jumping out of an airplane with a parachute strapped to their back is never without that aid. The promise for a believer is that with the Spirit of God in you, with you, alongside you, there is never a moment when you're alone. There is never a moment when God is not with you. There's never a moment when he's not at work in you. There's never a moment where he's not alongside you to call out to you, to aid you, to comfort you. That's who the Holy Spirit is. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit's aim is not just to give you fancy gifts so that you look good and can impress people in the church, right? He's with you to assist you to kaleo, to call out to you to become more like Christ. That's his goal. Like the Holy Spirit isn't just with you to like, uh, you know, give you some advice or be there for you whenever you need a pick-me-up. He's not there to just give you gifts so that everyone thinks you're cool and great and awesome in the church. He's there for a specific person, uh, purpose. The person of the Holy Spirit is with you to transform you into Christ-likeness. That's why he is with you, to hold you and to call out to you to become more like Christ. So how do I know that I'm a Christian, someone may ask. Here's a good way, right? Taking Jesus at his word in John 16 and, and the role of the Holy Spirit as a paraclete, an alongside one calling out to us to transform us, we can deduce this. The Spirit, if you are really a believer, the Spirit will be evident in my life, in your life. He, he'll be with you to call out beside you to conform you more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's what he says. Like, you are in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone, Paul says, who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. How do I know that I have the Spirit of Christ? I'm becoming more like Christ. You know, we make things so difficult, don't we? And we make things so much harder than they are. But, but really, it's, it's quite simple, isn't it? Like, if the Spirit of God dwells in me, and his job, his role, is to call me to be more and more like him, then it only makes sense that I can discern that I'm a Christian if I care about looking like him. Do you care about growing in godliness? Are you concerned about looking more like Jesus because you love Jesus, because you're, you're affected by his word? That verse there in, in Romans 8, it's, it makes such a nice bridge to the fruit of the Spirit. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn now back to Galatians chapter 5, because that's the, that's the point that Paul's making. He, he's making this point, if you are in Christ, you are not your own. You belong to God. And the seal of that relationship is the Spirit of God who dwells within you to conform you to God's likeness. So a Christian, think about this. A Christian has been raised by the Spirit, adopted by the Spirit, is indwelt by the Spirit, and his principal role is to make you like Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit, believers are saved, and believers are equipped, secured, sanctified. The Spirit is a lot more like a quarterback than he is a kicker, isn't he? Now, one of the most well-known roles of the Spirit is equipping believers with spiritual gifts. That's kind of what we have resigned the Spirit to do. When we think of the Spirit, we're like, oh, uh, he's the God that gives us, uh, he's a part of the Godhead that gives us good gifts. And, and that's certainly, there's a component to that. The spiritual gifts are listed in places like 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 7 to 11. And spiritual gifts are for the glory of God. They're for the good of the church. They're for the advance of the kingdom. John Piper, he says that the Holy Spirit is like a spotlight whose light always shines on the person and work of Jesus. I like that. So we should think of spiritual gifts as kind of being the lens through which the light of the Spirit shines on Christ. But this is really important for our study. The spiritual gifts are not to be confused with the fruit of the Spirit. There's a difference. There's a major difference. The gifts of the Spirit are His specific, gracious talents given to individual believers. Some, some of us here will have the gift of teaching or preaching or administration or utterances of wisdom. And these gifts in the Holy Spirit are going to look different for every single person. But I've said this a few weeks ago. Every single believer in this room possesses a spiritual gift. Did you know that? And some multiple spiritual gifts. Every single one of you are indwelt with talents by the Holy Spirit to be useful for the advance of the kingdom, the glory of God, the good of the gospel, and the strength of the church. Every single person in here is valuable in the eyes of God and essential to the work of God. Amen? Every single one of us. So every single person, no one here can say, I don't think I have spiritual gifts. You do, because you have the Holy Spirit. He's with you to equip you with gifts. But those are not the fruit of the Spirit. So all of those individual gifts may look different for each person, but that's not the case with the fruit of the Spirit. While we may not all have the same gifts, because we all have the same Spirit, there is just one fruit, okay? The fruit is just a reflection of God's characteristic. And we all have the same fruit. In other words, you, you can't pick and choose from this list. There, there's one fruit. There's only one fruit that manifests itself in these various characteristics. And you notice that. Notice that when it, whenever Paul describes this, you look down at verse 22 in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit 
of the Spirit. He doesn't say the fruits, plural, does he? He says the fruit, singular. In other words, this is, this is like one apple sliced into many slices, right? It's one apple. All of these come from this one apple, and that's the fruit. Each one of these sections is part of the same fruit. So while, while you may be able to say, well, I just don't have the gift of teaching, I just don't have the gift of teaching, you cannot say, well, I just don't have the gift of patience, right? Everyone in here, if you are a Christian, are called to be patient. No one in here can be like, you know, I just, love is for that person. It's just not my thing. It's just not what the Spirit has given me. Yes, he has, because he's given you his Spirit, and his Spirit is reflected in this fruit. Does that make sense? So there is no division between these. And, and you know this, if you've been with us for any period of time, we've just got done walking through the Ten Commandments, and there's a lot of correlations, a lot of similarities. Just like the Ten Commandments, the Spirit is the main character of the fruit. I know that that's hard for us to imagine, that the fruit of the Spirit would make the Spirit the main character, but He is. It's not you. It's all about Him. This is, this is who God the Spirit is. If you wanted to go to a passage that described for you what the Spirit is like, it would be to examine the fruit of the Spirit. This is, this is who He is. This is what He's like, right? And if this is who He is, and He's in you, you will begin to look like Him, right? Whereas the Ten Commandments serve as marks for godly living, the fruit of the Spirit serves as marks of God's presence in your life. And it's all patterned after the very character and nature of God himself. By our commitment to the Ten Commandments, the outside world learns something of the values of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, by the fruit of the Spirit, the outside world should learn something of the nature of God. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, we need to study this list. We need to study these characteristics that should be pursued by every single believer. Every single one of us should pray for these to be increased in our lives, uh, to be manifest in our church and, and in our homes. We should measure our spiritual health against the backdrop of the fruit of the Spirit. If we are alive by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus says, you will know them by their what? Fruit. That's exactly right. And just like fruit doesn't grow unless it's connected to the branch, you're not going to grow unless you're in step with the Spirit. Unless you're in step with the Spirit in your life. And you will know that you belong to Christ by being connected to Christ and looking like Christ progressively. What's fascinating is that Paul is about ready to go from here, this list of the fruit of the Spirit. He's about ready to go from here to talking about the unity and health of the church. But everything that Paul is about ready to encourage the church to be, he's going to encourage the church to be a place where brothers and sisters bear one another's burdens, where they, they seek to restore people who've fallen with grace and tenderness. They're, they're supposed to be uh, doing good for one another every time they have the opportunity, especially to those in the household of God. But all all of those things Paul is going to ask the church to be is contingent on the church prioritizing and possessing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Anything that we pray to be here at Calvary, a light to the nations, a refuge to our city, a place of healing, a home of hope, anything that we would pray to be here at Calvary Baptist Church is really contingent on our own individual, personal pursuit of the Holy Spirit in our life. That he would be manifesting more and more his fruit. That, that love would come to bear in my life. You, you won't care about bearing one another's burdens if you lack love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. If we want to be a healthy Christian, if we, if we want to be a church that's growing in Christ's likeness, then guess what? 
we have to care about being Christ-like, right? And that's what we're going to do in this series on the fruit of the Spirit over the next few weeks. But I want you to remember this. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of works, right? And there's a difference. These don't come naturally to your and my sinful flesh. Not a single one of these fruits. The fruit operates in contrast to what I normally feel is normal or deserved. My love is often selfish. Your joy is often contingent on people making you happy. Our peace is content only whenever things are falling into place the way we want, right? And so on and so forth. To manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we must be in a relationship with God, indwelt by the power of His Holy Spirit. And these are the marks of a Christian, not the way to become a Christian. Paul says in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ, you ought to underline that or circle that, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You were created by God, designed for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and the like. The only way for you to experience the freedom of that God-given design is for you to come to God, for you to be in him through his son, Jesus Christ, to, to surrender yourself and your will to God alone, your creator who through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit has the power to make you brand new. In verse 16, Paul says, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the flesh. We will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's a promise in that verse. Do you notice that? Paul doesn't say, if you walk in the Spirit, you might not gratify the flesh, right? He, he connects the two really powerfully. The more you walk in step with the Spirit, the less you will be in the flesh. That's a promise. That's a promise by God. So, so what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It simply means to submit myself to Him. I submit myself to His calling. I submit myself to His Word. I submit myself to His way. It means to attach the wagon of my life to the engine of His way and to allow His Word to lead me every day. That's what it means. Remember that He's the paraclete. He's the one who's already alongside us and in us to aid us, but his goal is to convict us of Jesus' word. So if I'm not in Jesus' word, then he has nothing to bring to my mind, nothing to bring to my heart to transform me in his ways, right? So all of this is contingent on me having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. And see, I told you that God is the main character of the fruit of the Spirit. And no one, no one has ever lived that has been perfect like Jesus Christ. No one who has ever lived has perfected or manifested the fruit of the Spirit better than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This life that we're going to study over the next few weeks, filled with love and peace, joy and patience, this life is only possible in Jesus Christ. Only possible in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the epitome of the fruit of the Spirit. We can't continue in this study of the fruit of the Spirit without acknowledging that in Christ, all of this is possible for your life. But apart from him, none of this will ever stick. Christ alone showed perfect love in dying for the sins of those who mocked and killed him. It was Christ alone who counted it all joy to suffer for the sake of God's purpose in salvation. It's Christ alone that brings perfect peace between a holy God and sinful humanity through his sacrificial death and resurrection. It's Christ alone who demonstrates perfect patience as he stepped down from heaven's throne for a 33-year life leading to the cross. 
It's Christ alone who showed unwavering kindness and gentleness and goodness to the spiritually lame, to the outcast, to the marginalized, to the hated, to the sinner, to the adulterer. It was through perfect faithfulness that Christ alone went to the cross to stand under the weight of the Father's wrath against sin. And it was Christ alone who demonstrated excellent self-control as he looked down from the cross and said, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, no one has ever lived like Jesus Christ. And friends, no one lives like Jesus does today. But that same Jesus invites you to live in him and by him and and for him and to him. And he does it by promising to send the Holy Spirit into your life to lead you, to guide you, to transform you, to advocate for you. And as we walk through this fruit together, I want it to be our prayerful pursuit that these will be the defining marks of our Christian life. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with our spirit to change our lives if you'll embrace this call. Every single person in this room desires love, joy, peace, patience, and I'm telling you right now that every single aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is available to you freely today without reservation if you will give your life to Jesus Christ. If you will be done trying to manufacture fake love, uh, trying to be patient and yet falling apart, if if you'll just be done trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and if you'll just surrender and say, I can't do it, but I know that you can, and I know that you are with me to call out my life for your glory and your good, Jesus Christ will send his Holy Spirit to be in you convict you of his word, his way, and his righteousness, and to lead you into all truth. I want Calvary Baptist Church to be a place where every bit of the fruit of the Spirit is manifest. But we can't fake it. And we're not called to. We're called to surrender our will to God and his way. Would you do that? Would you do that today? Maybe for the first time today. Maybe you're here and you're hearing the gospel for the very first time. And I'm, I'm here telling you that if you will come to Jesus Christ and put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you will repent of your sins and trust in his righteousness, he will send his spirit to be with you and give you new life. The same resurrecting Holy Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead can live in you and be with you. Isn't that good news? If you'll give your life to Jesus Christ today, you don't have to fake it anymore. This fruit can begin to be manifest in you. But maybe you've been a Christian for many years. And maybe today you're just kind of dry spiritually. My prayer is that as we walk through the fruit of the Spirit, it would be like water for your dry soul. (laughs) That you would just drink in of the goodness of God. That you would see that he loves you so much that he desires your ultimate joy, your complete goodness, your total satisfaction, not in anything that will pass away, but only in him. Like if you will come to Jesus for the first time, for a hundredth time, and rest in him, oh, all this fruit is for you. And it's all done for you by him. So what are you going to do today? What will you do while we walk through these over the next few weeks? Will you commit your way to Jesus? Will you attach the wagon of your life to the engine of the Holy Spirit? Will you pray along with me that every single one of these fruit would be evidence here at Calvary Baptist Church? Father God, as we come before you, we pray to you, and we pray by you and through you, 
God, even as scripture reminds us that sometimes we don't have the right words to say, we open our mouths with groanings too deep for words, and even in those moments, the Holy Spirit who is alongside us and within us, that Holy Spirit is able to interpret for us our heart's cry and bring us before the ears of the Father. God, we thank you this morning for the Holy Spirit of God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have made us alive together in Christ. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have resurrected us and will resurrect us completely one day. We thank you, Lord, that you give us hope that in you, by you, and through you is all goodness, joy, love, peace. It's all found in you. Lord, every single one of these fruit of the Spirit just remind us of who you are. God, you are perfect perfect in love, perfect in faithfulness, perfect in peace. God, we want that. We want you. I want you to fill our lives. I want you to change our hearts. I want you to inform our minds. I want you to transform this church. God, every single Sunday for the next few weeks, we want to make it our prayer that your Holy Spirit would fill this place, that you would convict us of sin, that you would remind us of righteousness, that you would call us into rest in Jesus Christ alone, in whose name we pray. Amen. Hey, stand this morning. If you're alive today because of the Spirit of Christ, then sing out to Him this morning and give that Spirit that this is becoming a habit, that I've got an announcement almost every single Sunday. Most of the time it's been really good news, and and today is good news as well, though maybe a little different. Uh, I, I will get you out of here in just a moment, and my hope is that you have a small group to go to here in just a moment. But before that, I need to take a really important moment in this service to thank somebody else. Today, it's my joy to be able to bring before you Mike Lujan, who I don't know why you do this every week, but for the year that I've been here, Mike introduces himself to you every Sunday, but you know exactly who he is. He always says, I'm Mike Lujan. If you didn't know, I think they know. And not only do they know, but they love you very much. And Mike loves this church very much. Mike has been praying for some time about the next chapter of his life that God would be coming alongside him to call him to. And this morning, I want to publicly give him thanks, but also to let you know that in the coming weeks, Mike will be transitioning from Calvary Baptist Church. Mike has held probably every position, I think, besides lead pastor that you can hold here, maybe worship pastor as well. But he's done just about everything in terms of communication, discipleship. You're gonna love those pictures. Uh, this, 
but, but most importantly, Mike stepped up at a really crucial time in the life of Calvary Baptist Church to fill a tremendous void in our youth ministry. And he would stand here and tell you that God had not called him to youth ministry, but God absolutely did. And God used Mike over the last two, almost three years in the lives of our students, middle school and high school here. And he did it in a really tremendous way. Mike has been exceptional, yes. Mike has been exceptional for me to work with. Um, he, has, he has been such a joy and through many changes and, and um, transitions, Mike has been a constant. And from day one, Mike has been just all in for this church and this ministry. I appreciate him so much, and I know that you do as well. It saddens me that God is calling him uh, to another chapter, but also I understand. And um, so I'm gonna let him say something, then I'm gonna pray for him. But I want to tell you, we have a communion and community. You're going to hear more about this next week. We have a communion and community coming up. It's a fellowship um, after we take the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of September. At that fellowship, then, uh, we'll have a time where we will uh, specifically thank Mike again. And you can come by and, and thank him and shower him with your love. So, Mike. Uh, I don't really know what to say after all of that. Um, I love the pictures that they found. Uh, yeah. Um, I have, I think I've been here for like, I, like I said earlier with Jada, like I've been here kind of around the time she got here. So it's like been like 10 years here um, doing various roles, various jobs. The biggest one has probably been youth ministry. I think I've done that probably six of my like nine, 10 years here uh, on a couple of different stints. Um, but yeah, I, I have felt, I don't know how to explain it really, but I have known that like it, being a youth pastor maybe wasn't it for me long-term, but I had the skills, I had the ability and begrudgingly and kicking and screaming, I trusted God through that to, to send me in there both times. Um, this time was a lot more fun than the, than the first time where I did not know what I was doing and I was a brand new believer. Uh, this time was a lot more fun. Um, and then also one of the things that I know, and Caleb will probably mention this as well in the coming weeks, but my departing and Sam's arriving was a complete God thing. It wasn't like one thing led to the other. Caleb and I had met and he was like, kind of, what is your time frame for wanting to leave? I was like, probably end of August. And he was like, fantastic. That's when Sam kind of wants to. Fantastic. <laughs> he did. I did, I, I he, did not say he, fantastic. He was like, thank you so much for <laughs> <What>? leaving. <laughs> Sorry. I, I meant, I meant fantastic in a good way. Cause that's when Sam was also able to not fantastic that I was leaving. No, Caleb, Caleb has been really, really good and supportive through this whole thing. We've had a couple of conversations about where I'm at and how I was feeling and the things that were going on in my life. And he's been, he's been great, but yeah, it, it was just kind of a God thing that, that Sam was looking at maybe joining and coming back September. And it was like, that was kind of when I was feeling like, okay, I can get fall stuff going and then I can step away. So yeah, my last working day here will be the 31st of August. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do next. So if you plan to ask me that, that is my answer. I don't know. Uh, I'm not leaving Las Cruces, so I will still be around. I am planning on probably stepping back a little bit and just taking a break from even kind of attending Calvary for a while just to kind of rest, reset, be able to come back in a way that it's like it's not work anymore or that people don't view me as like, you have all the answers. It's like, I never had all the answers, but, um, but you know, allowing some, some time for that as well. But I will think I may have just, there we go. Uh, I, um, yeah, I'll be stepping away vocationally from Calvary. Um, I don't really know what all to say. Uh, I'm not a huge emotional person. It'll probably hit me as we get closer, probably at the lunch thing or something. But right now I just wanted to thank you all. Um, thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for, uh, uh laughing at all of my horrible jokes. I don't think they were as bad as Greg's, but mine weren't great. Um, so uh, thank you for, for laughing at my jokes or just humoring me. Thank you to the students, obviously, who I've spent most of my time with. Um, thank you to the students. Thank you to the parents. Thank you to class leaders, group leaders, all of you who I've had the, the pleasure to know and, and work with over the last like year or so. 
thank you to all of you. Um, you've been instrumental in my growth here, my growth as a Christian, because um, I came in here as like a brand new believer when I first started coming to Calvary. So thank you, obviously, to, to even to David for Christian Challenge and things like that that I went through in college. There's way too many people to thank. I'd be up here all day. I feel like I'm like at an award show. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't really know what else to say. If you have questions, if you want to talk, just come find me and I'm down. Like I said, I'm not going anywhere. So if it happens in September, that's fine too. So I love you all. And thank you so much for everything you guys have done for me. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for, for Mike as well. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. And God, we thank you for this moment that we've had at the conclusion of our worship to continue to worship. And God, we lift up our voices in thanks to you for sending us a person, a servant of Christ, a, a child of God like Mike Luan. Lord, Mike has stepped up to serve this church sacrificially in so many ways, and our thanks to him can, can never do service to all the service that he's provided for us. And God, I thank you pastorally for how I've been able to work alongside him and experience his, his joy and, and his own prayers of, of discerning your path and your call in his life. God, I pray that as you continue to make things clear for Mike, that you would make smooth his path. I pray that Mike, just as he prayed for Jada, would always feel the love of Calvary Baptist Church for him. I pray that he would know that this is his church home, that this is the place of his spiritual growth and life and transformation and, and service. And Lord, uh, that we would just always be seen as home home for him. And God, I thank you for our students and their parents. And God, I thank you for the next chapter that's available or coming for them. I thank you for one who will step up to lead them and, and bring them into the next series or the next season that God would have for them, all laid upon the foundation that Mike himself has laid. And God, we thank you for that work. And God, we thank you just for who he is. We thank you for all he's done. We thank you for all you've done through him. So God, over the next few weeks, would Mike feel our love, our support, our prayers, and our hope for him? Would we be able to send him off well, just as we sent off Jada with a prayer and a praise to you? God, we love you, and we thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you as you go.